Hey, we are blessed to have a solid man of God with us and a really good friend of ours, a, a tremendous friend of Elam's. He's been around Elam for some time. It's uh, Pastor Penn Clark. <laughs> Pastor Penn Clark, who lives in Penn Yang, and he spells it exactly the same. It's a place you were born to be, my brother. There's no question about it. In 1985, Pastor Penn um, came uh, from the, his native country of Canada on a missionary. His wife is from Canada. And he said, you know, she's got, she's got some Canadian hookups there. On a missionary visa to help start a, a church among Mennonites in uh, northern New York. And this opportunity. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know you were Mennonite. Oh, you're clapping him. Okay, okay, good enough. <laughs> and he turned it into a lifelong mission of helping plant churches and working among Mennonites and Amish people who are hungry for the new life of Christ. Uh, Penn currently pastors Wellspring Fellowship. I've been there and ministered. He's been gracious to invite me there. Some of our students have been there going back again. Uh, we're including them in his church. It's based, of course, in Penyang. Geneva, they have one, and also um, Hammondsport, New York. Penn has regularly traveled um, to a lot of um, needy countries, needy places on earth, to help train leaders and to start churches and train them for the gospel. Uh, Pastor Penn has written more than 60 books. I could barely get through two of them. Not his, the ones that I wrote. So him, 60 books geared toward helping people become disciples of Jesus. He and his wife, Heather, uh, have uh, three grown children and uh, nine grandchildren. And nine grandchildren. That just hit me. Wow. That's a big Christmas. Nine grandchildren. He has got two books. He, I have two of his books. It's called Finding Finney and Finding Father Nash. And I'm looking at those. I'm into those. And if, how many revivalists do we have here? How many to preach the gospel? How many have ever heard of Charles Finney? It's a Finney place. He's got them right out there. So I don't know what they're going for, but he'll let you know what they are. Would you please welcome Brother Penn Clark? Wow. Well, Godspell, that's amazing. And uh, Dr. Fred and Guy, they're old hippies, so that's that's right out of our past, Godspell. Good to be here, good to be with you. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. I, um, I was 21 years old up in Canada, and Jesus walked into my apartment one day and said, follow me. I wasn't raised in the church, wasn't raised as a Christian. I had good parents, good people, and um, Christian backgrounds, but they had gotten away from the Lord. And so, so I didn't know anything. Uh, I got a Bible, found the Bible, started reading it. would sit up late at night, uh, just pouring over, following Jesus in the four Gospels, and he was so attractive to me. And I had this idea. I couldn't express it, couldn't really put it in the words. But I knew that what I was reading, everything that I read, happened today, applies to today. 
miracles still exist. I had a smoking habit. I started smoking very, very young and couldn't quit, tried to quit on my own. And, and I would sit up at night reading the Bible, uh, smoking away, and, and then couldn't picture Jesus smoking. And I wanted to be like him. And so I said, Lord, I, I can't quit. I, I've tried to quit. I don't know. I, I just haven't been able to quit. Would you do a miracle? I, I read in here how you do miracles. Do a miracle in me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to remember. I don't want to be tormented. I won't be tempted by it. And I threw a full pack of cigarettes and my lighter in the garbage. About three days later, my wife mentioned something about smoking. And it occurred to me, I hadn't even thought about it. I, I, was, I, I was on the other side of it. And it was that kind of thing that I just, whatever I read, I just believed it was for, for today. And, and uh, I remember praying and said, Lord, I, I, want, I want to cast out demons. And when I read Mark 16, it says that these signs shall follow those who believe. And I, I just b believed that that was me. And so I said, Lord, send some demons my way that I can cast out, practice on. I only prayed that prayer once because some, some uh, amazing things happened. But I would uh, ride the trains. I would go to Toronto and just ride the train in and ride the train back just because I could lead people to the Lord on the train. It was a public place. I could pray for the sick. I just wanted to practice everything Jesus was doing in the four Gospels. And um, I just, I couldn't tell anybody, but I just believed that I was a disciple no less than the 12. I didn't elevate them in my mind. They were just young guys like me who didn't know anything, and they're following Jesus. And uh, Jesus had a walking school, and, and discipleship wasn't something he invented. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. Uh, the Pharisees had disciples. Even, even in uh, Asia, uh, all, through, all through the old, old world, e e um, even among Muslims today and among uh, Buddhists, they have discipleship, a discipleship program. His was a walking school. It wasn't a classroom. It was a walking school where they would walk, they camped together, they walked, and whatever hit them, whatever happened to them, they learned from it. They grew from it. And I just felt that no matter what what happened to me? There was a lesson in it. No matter what happened to me, I was to grow from it, whether it was good or bad. And the, and the bad stuff happened right away. He didn't shield me from any of the bad stuff. Right away, uh, my, my family didn't mind me becoming a believer, but when I became a disciple, I wrecked every party I attended. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't listen to their jokes anymore. I couldn't dance the way I wasn't the life of the party. And so I they didn't want me to come to their parties anymore. I just wanted to talk about Jesus. I didn't want to sit around talking about hockey. And uh, I lost all my friends, all the guys that I grew up with in our neighborhood. Wouldn't talk to him anymore. The issue wasn't becoming a believer. They didn't care about that. That was, that was not a big deal. But being a disciple, it, it just changed everything. It changed uh, my whole focus on life. And then we were just not on the same page. He didn't spare me. Uh, I, I ran into false teachers right off the bat, and I had to, I had to learn. He had to show me and teach me how to, how to go with the anointing within that tells you whether something's true or false. He didn't spare me from those things right from the very beginning. I had uh, 
I saw flaky stuff in church. I saw false prophets, all kinds of stuff, false theology that was coming down the pike. And, and I just would cling to him, run to him, say, Lord, teach me. One of the things I, I, I noticed as I went through the four Gospels, Jesus would teach something, and then the apostles or disciples, they'd come around behind the curtain afterwards and say, what was that? What, what do you mean? And he never hesitated to answer their questions. And I just believed he was so real to me that I would, I would turn my head to talk to him. And I just believe if I asked him a question, he would answer me. I just had to learn. It took me a little while to, to figure out. I couldn't, I couldn't tell him answer and when to answer. Once I took those limitations off, I could honestly stand in front of you today and say, I can't think of a single question that I asked the Lord. He failed to answer. He always answered my questions. I just believed it was a prerogative of disciples, that I was in school, and my school was a walking school. I didn't work a regular job for three years. I was just out doing what Jesus wanted me to do and home studying late at night, early in the morning, taking whole periods of time, just really going deep into God's Word because I had nothing to go by. I, I, had, I, I didn't come from zero. I came from like minus 500. And, and uh, I just wanted to learn everything. He provided. That was one of the things that I had to go through years of just financial challenges and financial stress and uh, uh, trust in him for provision. I didn't realize it then. I mean, he worked so much on finances. It seemed like that was just a, a constant. But he brought me to a place where I could believe for lands and houses and churches and countries. And I mean, all that early pressure all had a huge payoff uh, down the road. Everything, everything I went through was uh, something to grow me. I, I found like there are five major disciplines that Jesus did. And my goal was to do what he did to become what he became. And, and the five major disciplines, there was prayer and fasting, hearing, hearing which has to do with study, meditation, uh, giving. When you start hanging around Jesus, I just, I became the most amazing giver just because that was his heart beating inside of me. And I learned how to give and what that released, what that did. It, it, it was such a game-changing experience. The fourth or the fifth one was the hardest one to learn. And I figured out eventually that if I missed that one, all the others were going to be harder. So I had to learn how to rest. And I, and I, no one was, there were no books on it. There was no one teaching anything about how to find that rhythm of, of working really hard and then resting. And only Jesus could really teach you and give you a balance on that. But he just took me through those. There were the five majors, and he just narrowed my life, just restricted it, narrowed it. He said that uh, Niagara Falls never turned on a light bulb until it was con confined and narrowed. And so he would tar start taking me through r real rigorous disciplines and... Um, one, for example, I, I worked for newspapers. I was a, a political cartoonist. And so I was in a habit of reading about five newspapers a day. And if you grew up in Canada, you'd go to Tim Horton's coffee shop first thing in the morning. <clears throat> there we go. <clears throat> and uh, you'd go through two or three cups of coffee and several newspapers. And then one, Jesus, one day Jesus said, I don't want you to do this anymore. 
He didn't explain himself very often. It re most generally just required raw obedience. I didn't realize that he would, if I obeyed, that he would exchange that for something so much better. But that was a habit that was so, so Canadian. That was ingrained in that. I didn't know that I could quit. But I wanted to obey Jesus. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to do what he did. And so I, I quit that cold turkey. Then I saw another young guy in, in Horton's drinking his coffee and reading his newspapers. And I went up to him and I said, you know, Jesus said not to do this. And he, he pulled me aside and he said, I told you that. Don't, don't go telling other people. And I, I started to catch the motto, a lifetime motto, motto of, of discipleship is that others may, but you may not. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn, that it wasn't, he didn't want me to become legalistic, but I had to have discipline, and I had to, I had to be limited in what I could do, my time, my money, my energy. And um, he took me through this walking school, and I... Of course, I wasn't the only one, but I was the only one that I knew. I, I couldn't, I didn't seem to meet very many people who were interested in this. But everything was for a higher purpose. When you watch uh, discipleship in other settings, um, in the Muslim world or among the Buddhists or whatever, or even, even among, among the Jews at one point in time, they had discipleship, and you would pay to go to the school. You'd find someone who had spiritual power or spiritual knowledge, like a revelation, that you wanted. And you would go to them, and you begin to negotiate, and you'd say, now, how do I get what you have? And they would say, well, you have to do what I did to get what, you know, I lived in this cave for six months, uh, eating bats or something like that. And you'd have to do whatever they did to become what they became. And then you would have your own disciples and all the, all the recognition and the authority that they had, that would come on you and you would, you'd be able to make money from this. You'd, it could become a, a, a job. And uh, lots of times the discipleship was that you, you became a slave, a servant to the master who was teaching you. And you would haul their wood, collect their water, do their laundry, cook their meals. You would wait on them. Uh, Jesus' discipleship program was so different. The cost, he said, I didn't come to be served. I've, I've come to serve. And so he wasn't, he wasn't making people slaves. He wasn't using them for his own benefit. I remember hearing about a, a guy up in Rochester who had a discipleship program, and he would have the disciples peel the orange and taste it to make sure it was sweet enough for him to eat. And I thought, that is not the spirit of Jesus. That's not what he's like. He, didn't, he said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I've come to serve. But there is a cost. And he would say it. And you could see it here in, in Luke 14. He'd say things like, uh, look in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother, his father, mother, wife, or children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He uses that phrase several times. Talks about bearing, bear your cross or you cannot be my disciple. Billy Graham felt that this was, uh, for our culture today, most people don't know what he's talking about. And when he said this, he, he hadn't been to the cross yet. So I don't think the disciples knew what he was talking about. Billy Graham said, 
be like Jesus said, pick up your electric chair and follow me. You're going to have to die. Your life isn't your own. You, you won't just be able to do what you want to do. Watch what you want to watch. Read what you want to read. He keeps saying this. Unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple. I started seeing something that I'd never heard anyone taught, teach before. It seemed like there are conditions on discipleship, but there's no conditions on being a believer. You become a believer by believing. But a disciple, you cannot be my disciple. He's not laying that out to people to become Christians, to, to start the process of living for the Lord. But he puts, he puts real restrictions on, on discipleship. Uh, he finishes it off by counting the cost, this section of Scripture. You better count the cost. Being a believer, you become, you become a believer by believing. And you can see it out with the thief on the cross who turned a little bit toward Jesus, and Jesus turned all the way toward him. It was just so easy for him to get to heaven, and it's so easy for us to get to heaven. He's paved the way yeah, for us to go to heaven. For me, that was not my issue. In fact, I didn't want Jesus to come back too soon because I hadn't preached yet. I hadn't gone to other countries yet. I had vision to fulfill. I didn't want him to come back too soon. I, I wanted to do the stuff. But he put conditions on it. There's actually a story where a guy comes up to Jesus and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll do whatever you, wherever you go. And he said, oh, no, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. I don't, I, I don't have a pillow. And it looks like he turned the guy down. In part, maybe, he's just realized there are people who get caught up in the moment, but they don't really mean it. They would, when things get tough, they become like John Mark. They just go back home. Then Jesus calls the guy and says, come, follow me. And he balked at it. He had excuses. You know, I, what about dad? And, and he... And Jesus' response just seems so cold. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Then another guy come running up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus seems to turn him around, turn him back. He's not doing that for people to come to know him. It's about, it's about discipleship. And I started to realize, and I'd never heard this taught before, even to this day, but all disciples are believers but not all believers are disciples. When I became a pastor, I, I wanted the whole church to become a disciple the way I had become a disciple. I almost burned them out. They didn't want to, they didn't, they just, give me a nice warm bottle of milk every Sunday and marry and bury us and that's all we expect. We just want to get to heaven. But then there was a few, a handful of people who were willing to go where, where I was going and I would take them to the mission field, I would take, if I went to prison to, to preach, I would take them with me. Whatever I was going through, I would take them through just the same way that Jesus had taken me. They didn't become my disciples. My goal was to turn them on to Jesus, that they would be forever sold out to being Jesus' disciples. This discipleship program is not for wimps. It's not for whiners. It's not for wannabes. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. I've been coming to Elam. It'll cost you. And there, I've been to Bible school. I know that there's a cost to being here. And there's a privilege for that cost. But you can't 
you can't ever gain discipleship any other way than following Jesus, doing what he did, letting him be the decider of your life, letting him choose, letting him lead, letting him deal with you, and he'll, he will. He won't leave you alone. He, I went through uh, difficult issues, with like uh, had to learn how to come under authority. That was a hard one for me. Uh, such a big challenge in my life. And then I realized, well, that was, a, that was a major lesson, but that's been a major part of my life ever since then. You, you, can't, you can't be in authority unless you've learned how to relate properly to authority. So many lessons. And... Um, it doesn't stop. Once you're a disciple, you're never anything but a disciple. That's the goal, is to, is to continue making, making disciples. Those five, five major disciplines, I realize that's what Jesus taught. It's what he demonstrated, and it's what the disciples wanted. I remember reading where uh, Jesus come out of a time of prayer, and they said, teach us to pray. I think, I think what happened is this. He come out of prayer glowing. He come out of prayer at peace. He come out of prayer with a smile on his face. They never saw a rabbi look so happy coming out of prayer. Usually you get a long, sour face. You know, you have to do it. You get there. It's a lot of time, energy, but, you know, no real payback. Jesus can't get enough of it. He's slipping off every chance he can to pray. And they realize this rabbi is different than any rabbi we've ever met before. And he fasts different than anyone else. Everything he did was just different. Different than the religious people. Different than all the, all the people in the denomination that they would have related to. And he would say, yeah, I'll teach you. I'll teach you. In fact, if you don't like fasting and prayer, if you don't like navigating this whole thing of taking personal retreats, it's because Jesus hasn't taught you. Once he teaches you, it changes everything. It changes everything. I had a wife, three kids. And that was a challenge to, to navigate partway through my discipleship, the early days of it. But then I, I started reading, I saw Peter. Peter had a wife, probably had kids. I mean, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. There's no point in having a mother-in-law if you don't have a wife. I mean, that'd be a bummer, right? And so he had, he had a wife. Meanwhile, he's camping with Jesus for three and a half years. He's unemployed for three and a half years. And he's got a wife, probably has kids. Got family. My family, my in-laws, they didn't speak to me for five years. You know, when I'd go and be around the family at family events, so the little kids would talk to me, but all the adults, they talked about me, but they didn't talk to me. And I had to make decisions so many times. It was embarrassing. It was so hard where I would have to follow what, what the Bible said rather than what would please my, my folks, my in-laws, and it just put us at, a, at odds at every turn. Even just disciplining my children, they hated it. I'm trying to follow what it says in Proverbs. I'm trying to honor God's word. They hate me. My father-in-law would leave the room. I was trying to, I, was, I didn't want it, 
I didn't want to do it in front of them. I had to do it in front of them because it was an issue of my obedience. But boy, they hated me for that. Until, until one day, the phone rang. It was my father-in-law. I don't remember him ever calling me before that. He said, can we come over? I never heard that before. Didn't, couldn't figure out what I did wrong, what, what's going to come. And they come over. They sat very nervously on the couch. And they said, we want to apologize. We hated you for the way you disciplined these kids. But I'll tell you, <laughs> we can take them anywhere. And they're a pleasure to be with. And they're, they, they're so wonderful to be with. And they obey. And we tell them to be back here at a certain time. And we just know that they, they'll do what we ask them to do. I, and they didn't explain it, but we found out later that they'd taken some other nieces and nephews somewhere <laughs> and couldn't enjoy a meal in a restaurant. They just wrecked the whole thing, wouldn't obey, wouldn't eat, wouldn't do anything. And, and they could take our kids to other countries. They could travel. And they just knew it was, it was something. They said it was the way you've trained them, the way you've disciplined them. We hated that. I knew they hated that. And it was so hard for me to be consistent it would have been easier for me not to have done it, but I, I, I want to honor the Lord, and everything changed. And that, that story could be told many different ways, different times with, with all my family and all my friends. Judas had a wife and kids, according to the Psalms. And so this discipleship thing, I had to, I, I had to provide for my family, yet I want to give time to the kingdom. I want to be available to serve in the church, be available to witness, be available to do things, be available to be in God's word. And only the Lord, only Jesus can show you how to navigate all of those things. You won't be able to figure it out. And there are no books on this stuff. You have to, it's a relationship. It's him, it's him showing you his heart moment by moment. Every conflict I had, every Every church problem I had, just turn to Jesus because I believe that was the prerogative of being a disciple as you just learn from everything. I wish it for you. I wish it for all of you. It's possible because this would happen to me. Our, our church sent all their kids to, to Bible school. My pastor, he came to me and he said, if you don't go to Bible school, you'll never be ordained. You'll never be in the ministry. You'll never mount to anything. And so I, I could only get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you, am I doing it wrong? Am I, is this wrong? And the Lord said, I'll speak to you about this tonight. I was going to a large gathering in Hamilton, Ontario, and the man who was preaching stopped in the middle of a sermon. There's about five or 600 people there, and he has me stand up at the back. He says, you're preparing the way, I the way I've asked you to prepare. You're doing what I've shown you to do. And he went on and explained some things that only the Lord would have known. I was on my face in the morning. He's speaking to me publicly, confirming that this was a way. Eventually, I went to Bible school, but I think it's possible because I, I saw this in our church. Many people went to Bible school but had no time for Jesus. There's so much social stuff and so much time with curriculum and, and, and study that They'd come home and come to my apartment, said, we don't know what it is, but you are vital. You're alive. You have something. You have something. 
how do we get what you have? And I, I said, well, I pray in tongues all the time. I'm in God's word all the time. I'm talking to Jesus all the time. And, and they just, they weren't able to do that. I think it is possible because I went to Bible school eventually. And it, and, and it became my major. My major was writing sermons and being with Jesus. And I started writing those books that, that uh, Dr. Fred mentioned. I started writing those books then. It just took a long time for them to come, up, come about the way they've come out. I think it's possible to go to Bible school and miss Jesus. Wouldn't that be a ripoff? Wouldn't it be a ripoff to have a certificate that you can tack to your wall? But you miss him in the process. Being a disciple is not for wimps. It's not for whiners. It's not for wannabes. It's tough. Remind me of something I, I read one time. There's a guy named Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton was um, a British explorer who went down into Antarctica. And I happened to be there a few times, so I got to know something about Shackleton. And so he got trapped in the ice down there with 28 men. And through his leadership, got them all safe and sound after two years of living on an ice floe. It's an amazing story. But here's his help wanted ad that he put in a newspaper to get a crew together. Listen to this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, and uh, honor and recognition in case of success, signed Ernest Shackleton. Hundreds of people signed up for this, including women. He was surprised how many women signed up for it. He was looking for a couple dozen men, hundreds of people. I think what that told me when I read that, I think there's something inside of all of us that want to take some, that want to be challenged, that want to be pushed to our limits, that want to see what we're made of, to see what we could do, to see if we could do it. We don't want to just read books of adventure. We want to be in the adventure. And I just, I found out if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I would, I'd go and I'd talk to him. I remember praying this way for about two years one time. Take me someplace. Take me someplace where they don't take visa. Take me someplace where I don't speak the language. Take me someplace where I don't know anybody. Just you and I, so I can see your power and hear your heart. And I thought maybe he'd take me to, you know, Puerto Rico or something. He took me into Calcutta and dropped me into Calcutta in the darkest night. Took me right in the, one of the most difficult places on earth and was with me. And I got to see what he's like and feel, I could feel his heart just beneath my skin. It was life-changing, life-changing. I wish that for you. That was the stupidest thing I ever did and the best thing I ever did. Don't go the soft route. Don't go the easy route. I'm concerned about our generation. It seemed like my parents and their parents, you know, were Depression-era people and World War II and all of that. They just had a different mindset. I'm concerned about my own grandkids and how soft they've had it. Go for Jesus as a disciple. And the, and the harder it gets, say, bring it on.
bring it on. I want, I want to follow you. I want to know. He'll show you how to navigate hurts and heartaches and people resisting and rejecting. He'll, he'll show you. He'll say, well, uh, that happened to me. Why would you be surprised that that's happened to you? If it happened to the master, why are you surprised if it happens to the disciple? It's the same. And it just changes your Christianity. It just takes it to another level. I wish that for you. Amen? Why don't we stand together? With the few minutes we have left, why don't we pray? First of all, if you feel like the Lord stepped on your toes today, why don't you thank him for that? If he challenged you or confirmed your own inner desire, why don't you thank him right now? If he's gotten through to you, say, Lord, that, that, that got through to me. And Jesus, I'm, I'm asking that you not leave me where I'm at. Take me deeper. Take me by the heart. Take me in over my head. Take me places I've never been before. Take me places I'd otherwise never, never get to. Use this time on campus to change me. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to be a, your disciple. Teach me. Train me. I want to become like you. Lord, I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. It's empty. It just leaves me with regret. Lord, with the time that's left, I want to be all in. Take me. Take me in over my head. I want to do what you did to become what you became. Jesus, I'm asking you bring other people into my life that I can disciple, that what you're teaching me, I can teach them. <clears throat> Give me people that I can challenge. Now, if that's your prayer, if that's your heart, say amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus.